Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, my guest is Carol Roth. Carol is a content creator, self-described recovering investment banker, entrepreneur, TV pundit and host, and New York Times bestselling author of The Entrepreneur Equation. Carol has worked in a variety of capacities across industries, including currently as an outsourced CCO, as a director on public and private company boards, and as a strategic advisor. She advocates for small business, small government, and big hair, all three of which definitely are the opinions of the management here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. And today she joins me to discuss her latest book, The War on Small Business, How the Government Used the Pandemic to Crush the Backbone of America. Carol, welcome. Thank you. Such an uplifting topic that we have before us, Tom. <laughs> Especially on a Monday. Always. So you say that the government bureaucrats have been looking for ways to destroy small business and consolidate power for decades. And with COVID-19, they finally had their chance. And that kind of brings up a recurring question here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Are they evil or just stupid? You seem to be saying there's definite intent here. There's that fabulous meme, the why not both? <laughs> and I tend to be sort of in that camp. I also am in the camp of that it kind of doesn't matter, right? Whether you think the intentions are nefarious or you think it is just general incompetence or you just think it's systemic that you get to a big size and you just can't run things well, it kind of doesn't matter because the outcomes are the same. But if you kind of, if you take a step back and you say, if you were going to try to destroy small business and you were trying to consolidate power in the economy, would you have done anything differently over the past few years? It's kind of hard to come up with the, oh, well, I, I probably wouldn't have done this. And when you think about the, the breakdown, just the spectrum of the economy, where you have about half the GDP and about half the jobs before COVID in the hands of what's now about 32.5 million small businesses, and the other half of the economy is consolidated within the purview of just over 20,000 large businesses, 
which is easier to control, which is easier to make deals with, which is easier to get campaign contributions from, and, and then kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we'll, we'll kind of you know, do something together. Is it easier to do that with these 20,000 big businesses with their money and their lobbyists, or these very independent 32 and a half million small businesses? And I think that looking at the economy that way gives you for the context for whether you are nefarious or just power hungry or whatnot, you know, why they would want that consolidation because it then completely goes on to consolidation of power and purview for that. So you talk about picking winners and losers, and is it just by being big enough that you can afford lobbyists and you can make those connections you just talked about to become a winner? Or is there more than that? Do you have to be politically aligned? What are the criteria? How does Tom Mullen Talks Freedom <laughs> get to be one of the winners in their game? Certainly, it's a combination of having capital and or connections. And I think if you look at the picking of winners and losers during COVID, you can see that. If you wanted to get your dog's nails groomed and, and its hair done, you could do that at a big box pet store but you could not get your own hair and nails done at a small salon. One of my per personal favorite ones were the weed dispensaries. Weed had been illegal in most of these jurisdictions in the years preceding these COVID decisions. Then it comes around and they're all of a sudden an essential business. So those, you know, probably smaller in scope, but obviously highly politically connected and something that the state is making a ton of cash on. So if you kind of go through the different decisions that were made, you can see that some of it was money and size and scope, and some of it was clout. And given the Venn diagram there, there's a, a pretty good amount of overlap. So when younger generations, well, at least younger than me anyway, <laughs> see the devastation caused by all this. And I, I think even the millennials remember the 2008 crisis, and now we have the COVID lockdowns, and you've got all this economic damage caused by both. And at the same time, the richest people in the world get richer by leaps and bounds. So they just throw up their hands and say, we got to get rid of capitalism. How do we persuade them they're mistaken about that? Yeah, so they've definitely identified the problem. This was a historic transfer of wealth and power, that the most historic we've ever seen in our lifetimes. And we saw tech companies, seven of them, gain $3.4 trillion in value at the same time that hundreds of thousands of small businesses were being murdered. But that's not free market capitalism. That's not the free choice and will of the people. That's a combination of governments and government kind of crony interventions. It was the government's decision to basically shut down the competitors to a lot of these companies. So that shifted revenue from a small business to some of these online technology-based businesses. They also completely scared people and staying in their houses. They shut down school, which took away the, the child's kind of child care option, if you will, for a lot of families who had kids that were in school and now had to, to watch them instead of going to work. None of those are free market capitalism decisions. That's the central planning decision. On top of that, 
But the biggest thing that's impacted the millennials and their wealth creation opportunity, both coming out of 08 and then kind of go, going through today, has been the action of the Federal Reserve, which is, they say it's a private independent entity. I call it a quasi-government entity. It gets its power from Congress. It gives its profits back to the U.S. Treasury. That's not really an independent entity and certainly not capitalism. So their interference in the market, holding down interest rates artificially low, printing trillions of dollars, destroying the value of what your dollar can purchase today, creating this immense inflation, that's all been created at the hands of the Federal Reserve, who are doing it not for their stated mandate, but for this sort of secret mandate of supporting the stock market, you know, helping their wealthy cronies, as well as giving the government cover and allowing them to spend irresponsibly and giving them a backdrop for that. So this, the most important thing for the people who want to abandon capitalism is to understand is that it's the polar opposite of what's going on. When we're talking about capitalism, we're not talking about crony entities, we're not talking about the government government giving favors, we're really talking about freedom and choice with the guardrails of property rights and having the decisions of people in an equal playing field come to fruition. And unfortunately, we have just moved further and further away from that. What would 2008 have looked like it was handled with the real rules of capitalism? Yeah, you would have seen a lot of those banks go bankrupt. Um, and people say, oh, well, you can't do that because all these people had their money in there. Well, we have things like FDIC insurance and the like. So we, we would have had the average person have their wealth protected. But you know, these, these bad actors would have been flushed out of the system. Instead, we had the opposite impact. We had more regulation in the form of Dodd-Frank. And what Dodd-Frank did was create such an onerous playing field for small and new competitors that it actually froze them out of the market. So there were, went from uh, new bank formations, went from like a hundred to like three a year. A lot of small community banks went under and small business lending then went off a cliff where the big banks then are the only ones left. They're doing fantastic in the big business lending. It was just like a, a free for all giveaway. So, you know, in, in, in letting the capitalistic rules play out, if you take on too much risk and you pay the price, that would have been appropriate. But instead, the banks got a bailout and you as an individual got nothing other than you know, having to pick up the tab. This all happened. The TARP bailout was at least drafted, and I can't remember if it passed before the election or right after, but John McCain and Barack Obama both suspended their campaigns to support this. So that should be a clue right there <laughs> that when both of the parties are agreeing. Broad bipartisan support, never a good thing. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, capitalism would have actually punished those people that all the anti-capitalists hate the most. Goldman Sachs and Citibank, they all would have lost market share. And the smaller banks, as you say, would have gained it. The ones who didn't make all the bad bets. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I want to add the place where there's a distinct difference between what happened then and what happened with COVID is that the banks did this to themselves. And frankly, a lot of it was AIG, which you know, wasn't a bank, it was an insurance company, but they're the ones that took on too much risk. This was not something that came from a mandate. This was their own decision and they were too big to fail. 
The COVID scenario was different. You had the government basically infringing on small businesses' property rights under eminent domain in the Constitution. If you take somebody's personal property for the public good, you owe them just compensation. And so any relief funds for that would be completely appropriate for what the government was doing. Now, granted, small businesses didn't get a fraction of what they should have gotten under eminent domain, but it's an important distinction to make because it's it wasn't a bailout. It's not like the small businesses <laughs> took on too much risk and there was this mass like, oh, we're going to all go under. This was a government mandate that caused the scenario. And there was something like $3 trillion printed up and handed out, but it was only a tiny fraction of that that actually went to anybody who was paying employees or at least any small businesses. I can't remember what the number was, but it was something like 300 billion or 400 billion. All, all in all, between all the different tranches, it was less than a trillion out of the like 6.6 trillion that they spent over the multiple administrations. Yeah, I was just talking 2020 numbers, not even getting into 2021. So you also say that some of the things that are being proposed now with the Democrats in charge, like higher corporate taxes, the minimum wage, the PRO Act, that these are an attack on small businesses. Now, I would think someone would think that this is going to hurt these big corporations that are in bed with the government. Why not? No, I mean, it kind of goes back to what happened with Dodd-Frank. More regulation is anti-competitive. If you are a big company, you have more capital, you have more scale, you have more resources to deal with and absorb these ridiculous regulations. If you are a new or a small player, you absolutely do not. So if you look right now at our labor market, where we have almost two jobs available for every job seeker, that is hurting the small businesses the most because they don't have the opportunity to go, well, this is an underperforming location. So maybe we'll just shut that down and we'll rationalize the cost over these other locations or we'll pay more here, but we'll cut somebody out of accounting. And they just don't have the ability to do that. If they have one location, like that's their business and it either works or it doesn't work. So things like flexible work too, if you take the 32 and a half million small businesses we have, only about 6 million of those have employees. And the reason is it is such a disruption to a small business to bring on that first employee in terms of costs, in terms of benefits, in terms of compliance with rules and regulations, implication for your own 401k or some sort of a SEP plan that you might have. All of these things are really challenging. If they wanted to make it easier and more flexible, they would embrace more gig workers, broaden the definition of independent contractors, find a way where small businesses could bring more people on and, and find a way to do it flexibly that works for both parties. But no, we, we can't have that. We can't have people coming to their own agreements and deciding what makes sense for them. We must have central planners tell us how to do it. And so they're actually going in the opposite direction and they're trying to push more unionization, you know, more strict definitions of what an independent contractor are. They're trying to kill gig work. They're trying to do all these things, which benefits the unions and ultimately benefits the big companies. So it's that sort of 
unholy triumvirate of big government, big special interests and big businesses that end up winning out at the expense, sometimes quite literally, of small businesses. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, it helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. We help each other when we don't mean to. That's what we I remember back in the 1990s when I was in the corporate world and uh, I actually worked for a couple of health insurance companies. Then I went to the small business world for most of this century. And I remember back when like your computer would break, you know, you'd call a help desk and some guy would show up that you've never seen before and crawl under your desk and fix everything. And then you'd never see him again. The next time you called, <laughs> that was a different person, but it wasn't just the help desk. They had a whole floor full of lawyers too. So there was legal and that's just what you're talking about, that they could afford that. So they can afford a department called legal where the small business, they're outsourcing to their council and they can't afford to comply with, with all these regulations. And that's just another thing that somebody supports with the best of intentions, someone like Elizabeth Warren. She doesn't have the best of intentions. Right. No, she doesn't. She, she's, too, she's too smart to have that as the best of intentions. <laughs> and then she's out there saying the small business, but nothing she's proposing is going to help them. No, I mean, but there are people out there and this goes back to the road to where is paved with good intentions. Your good intentions don't be good, get good outcomes. And in the area of economics is probably the most stark. And that's why a lot of things start out with like, oh, well, this makes sense. Like, why wouldn't you want to do this? But if you don't have an economics background, which unfortunately they do a really poor job of teaching economics and personal finance and all these like important things to people in our government schools, if you don't know that, then you can't kind of follow along the chain. And, and understand that the outcome is going to be bad. It's like all of these people right now, and my, my book didn't get a chance to fully cover it. I nodded to it because I saw what was ahead. But my book came out in, in June of last year, which means I wrapped it in like February or March of, of 2021. But I alluded to like, oh, hey, we're probably going to get inflation and we're probably going to disrupt the supply chain. and We're probably going to disrupt the labor market. You know, all these things that are happening that nobody could have predicted, except that anybody with an economics background did predict because that was the only logical outcome of the things that they were proposing. And there 
there are people who are still arguing about it and saying, oh, no, this is caused by greedy corporations who apparently are only greedy right now, but have never been greedy at any other point in time to cause inflation. Yeah. And you mentioned the Federal Reserve briefly. That's a central planner as well. And of course, it's the root cause of at least most of these problems. Do you think that right now that the price inflation we've seen so far, is this still just a result of the COVID money printing? Or are we starting to see some of the effects of the Ukraine war and those sanctions? So if you go back to January of this year, we still had record inflation, the highest it has been in 40 years. And that was before Ukraine even kind of popped up on our, our TV screens. So the, the big bulk of this is a combination of monetary policy, fiscal policy, and government policy kind of, you know, loosely defined. But certainly the printing of the trillions of dollars and the government spending of trillions of dollars is the biggest contributor. And they did that at a time when they decided that they were also going to, you know, turn off like a third of the economy for some point in time and then try to flip it back on like they were power cycling a modem and come up with these ridiculous structures that incentivize people to not go back into the workforce put more money into assets, let retire, retire early because their 401ks and, and housing equity was looking great. The immigration policy, which kept legal immigrants you know, out of the workforce on the trajectory that we normally would have seen. So all of these things together were a disaster. Then you got Biden who came into to office right where the stuff was like really kindling. First thing he does is cancel oil and gas lease, which makes no sense. And then he embraced this ESG push, which basically was sort of a, an external but crony push to not invest capital in traditional energy. So obviously that has created um, the energy supply issue in part. And, and then he had the American Rescue Plan. And so we have the economy that's just starting to open back up we have vaccines, but we're pretty supply constrained. Let's throw another $2 trillion onto a really supply constrained economy that's starting to kindle. And that was just at that point in time that it was fait accompli. It was the deal was sealed. So we were going to have and we did have record inflation before the Ukraine situation happened. And with that, obviously, that has exacerbated a whole number of issues that will create a long tail on what was already a bad situation. But if we had planned appropriately, if they hadn't done stupid things like directing capital away from oil and gas and, and you know, canceling leases, we would have been in a much better place to help to replace some of that lost supply that not only affects direct oil and gas prices, but it goes into things like farming equipment and drying of grains and moving all kinds of products and logistics and just the, the, the sort of cascading impact of our own decisions, I think are understated and underplayed. And I shouldn't say our own decision. It wasn't my decision. It was the Biden administration's decision, but their decisions, there's this cascading effect that, of course, again, com compounded the, the Russia-Ukraine situation, exacerbated that, but it was still going to be a disaster with or without that. No, but Carol, it's our democracy. It's it's our decision. <laughs> I have nothing this. to do with this, Tom. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> do you do you think that 
just putting your investment banker hat on for a minute, and I promise you can throw it away after this one question. <laughs> As I said, I'm a recovering investment banker, so it's always in the corner to throw back on from time to time. But we do a lot of Fed watching here on the podcast. Do you think, one, that what Jay Powell is doing is going to cure the inflation problem? And do you think he's going to chicken out fast or do you think he's going to stick with it for a while? Okay, so I'll try to address those in order. Is it going to cure inflation? Not without causing a recession. We have a severely supply-constrained economy. We have a labor supply constraint. We have a housing supply constraint. We have a pipeline of a food supply constraint. We have an energy supply constraint, and we have other commodities that are supply constrained. The Fed policy deals with demand. It doesn't deal with supply at this juncture. So the only way that you are going to close that gap between supply and demand is by really throttling demand. And the only way you're really throttling demand is by people losing their jobs and businesses shutting and, you know, kind of all hell breaking loose. So yeah, so I think that is what they are up against, which by the way, they created. So their problem, but we're having to deal with it. So that's kind of my first prediction is that they they can't do it without a recession. Also just basic math. If you look, we've already had one negative quarter of GDP. If you look at, we know government spending is going to be down because they're not doing stimulus. On the other side of that, we know the consumer is not going to have stimulus checks. So even if they spend more, um, it's probably because of inflation. It's not because of real demand. And you have the stock market that just cratered, which isn't helping business investment. Strong dollar, net invest or net exports. I don't think that's helping that either. So just adding those components of GDP together, it's kind of hard to see how that doesn't end up negative or maybe it's a little we got a little bit of something because they always fudge those but yeah so that doesn't look so great in terms of just jay powell chicken out i am in the camp chicken <laughs> i am i am in the camp that we see i don't know another rate hike maybe it's 50 maybe it's 25 i think he maxes out at like two but between where the market is going and the fact that just mathematically we may get a recession anyway, and then what's he going to say at that point in time? I think he, he and the Fed have a different mandate than what they're saying. They are doves by design. They, that's what they know. That's what they're comfortable with. That's what you know. The, the market is pushing for. Nobody wants to normalize and get back to like things like valuations. So I think they're going to try to revert to that as quickly as possible. But you know, you, you just never know. There are a lot of wild cards out there. But if if I was if I was forced to place a bet on that, I'm voting Team Chicken. What about you? What do you What do you think on that? I'm I'm trying to make up my mind. He keeps talking about Paul Volcker, but a friend of mine <laughs> reminded me. Yeah, he said Volcker a lot in 2018, and he chickened out as soon as Trump yelled at him. He says a lot of things that aren't true, including inflation is transitory. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> well, stepping back, just a big picture. You talk about the U.S. being in a long-term battle between decentralized power and centralized control. When did it start and who's winning? I mean, it's been going on for a lot, like lo a lot longer than both of us have been alive. And certainly it's gotten more concrete over time. So, so the central planners are clearly winning. If you look at the scope, 
size per view of the federal government versus what it was designed to be and, and what you know we're supposed to have in this constitutional republic. Um, it is so far out of whack. If you look at the control and the damage that the Federal Reserve has done over the last 15 years and, and really just walloped us over the past couple of years, there's just no doubt that the central powers are winning. There are certainly constituents, whether it be in finance or media or other places that are trying to pursue this decentralized route. What you're doing right now is decentralized media. What cryptocurrency was trying to do is a sort of decentralized central banking. And it's a tough road. It's a tough road and it's tough to go up against that. And a lot of people don't have the fortitude because it's going to require you to give up something small in order to get the big win. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that or understand that. It's why they said, give me my whatever the number was, $1,200 American Rescue Plan check. When it's like that, that $1,200 check is going to cost you $6,000 next year in inflation. And I went like, I don't know what that means. I want my $1,200 check. So uh, that's unfortunately what we're dealing with here. And there, there is more of a movement. I do think that people are at least you know, starting to see the cracks, but will people really have the fortitude to go like full HGTV renovation on the government and like pull it back to its studs? I just don't know. Well, they certainly have elected the two different parties back and forth. I mean, they had the Republicans <laughs> in there, had all three components, the White House and both houses of Congress. Now they've got the Democrats. The, the call's coming from inside the House, Tom. It's it's systemic. It's like they're just two different, bad and really bad. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a question of, yeah, one, one, is, one is, is worse, but neither of them is, is good. So skinniest kid at fat camp, let's call it that. Well, like you said at the beginning of this conversation, happy Monday. What uh, I do advise everybody to do is pick up a copy of Carol's book. It's called The War on Small Business, How the Government Used the Pandemic to Crush the Backbone of America. Of course, I'll have a link on the show notes page to the book. It's one I recommend you read. Where else do people find you, Carol, besides on Amazon selling your books? Sure. Well, I'm going to do a plug here to buy it at your local bookstore, or if you like to shop online at bookshop.org that fulfills from local bookstores, because that's one of the things that we can all do to support small business is not buy your books from Amazon and also just be thoughtful about where you spend your dollars. And then if you want to connect with me and you have a warped sense of humor, then find me on Twitter at Carol J.S. Roth. And if you don't have a warped sense of humor, you probably won't enjoy following me. <laughs> I have a feeling that this audience, you'll be just what they're looking for. I had a feeling too, Tom. <laughs> but I'd like to do the disclaimer just in case. Just in case. We don't want anybody running for a safe space. Well, hey, I appreciate <laughs> you coming by and sharing some thoughts. We'll link to your book and hope to talk to you again soon. Would be my pleasure. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. If you haven't already, don't forget to download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.